Welcome to Enabling the World with Tech with your host, Prashant Gami. In this podcast, you will embark on tech journeys of successful companies focusing on how to scale effectively. Explore tech strategies and lessons from some of the world's most innovative and brightest people. Today, we have Ben Lipsitz from uh, Food By Us, uh, a successful founder and uh, associate in the menu log before. And Food By Us just secured, I think, $15 million funding altogether. Uh, altogether more than that, but most recently, 10 Most million, recently, $10 million. $10 million. Yeah. So, uh, Ben, uh, talk us about like what is Food By Us? How did you start and what is the idea behind it? Sure. So, Food By Us is a one-stop shop for restaurants, cafes, anyone in hospitality to order from all of their suppliers in the one place. That's great because uh, one of my business is actually restaurant and we struggle a lot with like finding the right supplier, whether they will deliver or not. And, and this is a very good market gap. So how did you come across this market gap? Yeah, a, a lot of people, customers eating in restaurants don't realize that what's happening in the back of house, you know, in the kitchen from a supply and procurement point of view True. is very, very old school. So you've got a chef or an owner. And typically, they're ordering from, even for a small restaurant, 10 to 15 different suppliers. Definitely, yes. Someone for seafood, someone for fruit food, someone for meat. There's no Coles or Woolworths for, for a restaurant. Yes. Um, and the way that they order is through phone, text, fax, True. voicemail, email, all these yes. things. So um, we already have this marketplace, I guess, experience mm-hmm. with MenuLog. Um, and so we understood this power in connecting a bunch of buyers with a bunch of suppliers. Yes. In menu log, obviously connecting consumers with the restaurants. Yes. The idea came about when we looked one level up the supply chain. Understand. Uh, and, and so we sort of said, well, there's great technology available for restaurants to gather customers. What are the suppliers doing to gather restaurants as customers? And what are the restaurants doing to order from those suppliers? So it became quite, I guess, an organic exploration of what does the supply chain look like? Yes. Um, and from that, the more restaurants we spoke to and the more that we understood, hey, this is a real problem, yes. um, the more excited we got about the idea. Definitely. And that's, that's really what happened. It just grew Great. from there. And, and you recently featured in AFR and I was reading the article and one of the problems that you mentioned over there is the uh, buying and the negotiation power of the buyer uh, that the big restaurants get mm. but the small one doesn't get. Yes. So what, what is the angle there? Yeah, so um, if we take a step back and we look at the, the restaurant or hospitality scene in Australia, I mean, you have your quick service restaurants, McDonald's and things like yes. that. They do not need help. They are great at procurement. Definitely. And perhaps a level down from that, you have big hospitality groups like Solitel or Maryvale yes. or whatever. They also don't need our help. Definitely. But in Australia, there's a huge, fragmented, independent restaurant scene. In fact, there's about 90,000 wow. independent restaurants. Even if you look at... Deliveroo or MenuLog or any of these guys, they've got thirty or 40,000 independent restaurants True. listed on them. Yes. Um, and these guys did not get into the restaurant business being passionate about procurement. Yes. They, they <laughs> are passionate about people and running a small business and perhaps the theme or the location of what they're there to do. Yes. And the experience they want to offer customers. It's True. not exciting for them. Yes. to get up every day and renegotiate the price of lemons or apples or, or whatever. And they don't have that buying power and it's a very hard focus to maintain Yes, because the prices are constantly shifting of meat and seafood mm-hmm. and fruit veg according to seasonality, according to market forces and all Understand. that. And so they just don't have that buying power and they don't have 
the time or energy to stay on top of it. Um, and that's a problem they face. Now, other businesses have the same problem, but they solve it with people and they've true. got procurement divisions yes. and things like that. Yeah. The larger businesses can. Exactly. So true. So um, we, I guess, give them the keys and the tools and the power um, in a sort of, I guess, democratization of supply to say, hey, guys, jump on the network. Mm -hmm. uh, become part of the group buying experience yes. um, and save yourself time and money. That's, that's kind of the... Yeah. And uh, coming back to like B2C versus B2B, mm. uh, in B2C market, mobile first makes more sense and, and is de facto because everybody's on mobile, they're going to mm. order through mobile. But in B2B world, what, what was the thing that, like how does the food bias, is it more mobile first platform or is it more uh, like a desktop or a... Uh, like a web first uh, solution? I think it's a really good question and and I think taking a step back from that, what's interesting about your question is that in B2C, the form factor or the, the platform in which the user is going to yes. interact with your software matters a lot. Yes. And I think in B2B, the form, although it's important, and I'll come back to that in a second, sure. it's not the first consideration. It's really what is the problem I'm trying to solve? Yes. What is this B2B, uh, I guess, this unique business going through um, that they must have solved and they, they, they will not care so much if it's desktop exactly. or, lap, or, or, or mobile or if there's an app or if it's running through exactly. a, a browser. Exactly. So you've got some, uh, like, you know, easy choices that where you can, like, you know, uh, develop rapidly by targeting one platform rather than all platforms. Yeah, I think it becomes about the the problem very much. Yes. Now, ha having said that, we are selling into chefs and chefs mm -hmm. are busy and absolutely most of our users use it on a mobile phone. That's interesting. Um, and we do imagine the user late at night because they're offering mm -hmm. ordering after service. Yes. So it's 11 p.m. Um, it's dark where they are. There's a, there's a pantry and a fridge and it's a whole True. dark kitchen area. Yes. Uh, and many chefs have English as a second language. True. And so we really have to factor all of that in. And uh, is, to, is to the platform is the platform multilingual in that case? It's not. It has capability to be multilingual, and, and sometimes we do mm -hmm. use that. But more more in how we solve that is through the user interface. Understand um, the size of certain pictures or fonts, or, or how you kind of interact with it. Um, Understand. Yeah. So so absolutely. If we buy us this case, it works on a desktop. It works on a on a mobile yes. and all of that. But we're we're I think more concerned with the, the problem, problem, where the user's using it, what time yes. of day, and then from there flows. I think you and, know. And, and that is so true because people usually go into this mindset: oh, I need to build mobile app or I need to build desktop. They don't focus enough on the customer actual like engagement like you said it's dark in the kitchen late at night mm. and where they're going to use it or like you know how they're going to use it the the usage matters so much than the uh, like you know uh, targeting okay which platform is better or the form factor and so uh, on uh, absolutely yeah. it's tempting to say apps are cool let's start yes. with an app exactly. and then you kind of you know mush the functionality <laughs> in, into there but in our case um you know, and, and the app will come, mm -hmm. but for now it works in a number of browsers and that's that's enough. Yes. More importantly is you know, all the yeah. things we just discussed. So give us more understanding about like, you know, how long it took you to like do food by us. Like what was mm. the target? Um, because one of the things that I always find uh, businesses that misjudge is that, mm. okay, world is your oyster and they start to go global on their day one mm. and they fail miserably because it's too 
too complex problem and they don't have revenue coming in yet yeah. and and it becomes like you know you, you don't have a sustainable business plan yeah. so how did you solve that like what was the target that you initially said all right this is where we going to launch or this is our target as as a first thing and and the market fit obviously uh, can can you tell us more about that yeah so first thing is it was an absolute journey so i i think the the product we launched with was uh just just working and just just okay <laughs> of course <laughs> um so we we probably took uh b- between i'd say eight eight to ten months to sort of code a version one mm-hmm. and we knew that we wanted to have suppliers uh be able to manage their presence on, 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 a, on a network so and if if i may ask how hmm. many suppliers were the initial target that i need 10000 suppliers or 1000 suppliers before i can launch this yeah that's a really really good question and um, we we thought 50 is enough uh, mm-hmm. how did we come up with that number um n- nothing really specific other than really going to a few restaurants and yes. understanding okay if the average restaurant that we're talking to is sort of using 10 to 15 True. um and that they're using roughly roughly sort of yes. 10 categories and, as in and, fruit veg and did you food. did you also narrow it down by the restaurant type versus like you know a uh, fast food versus restaurant and, and what type of cuisine we did, um, but because we didn't want to go too narrow too yes. soon, we, we sort of averaged it out. So mm-hmm. between pubs, clubs, restaurants, cafes, you've got, yes. call it 10 to 15 suppliers. And then we sort of said, well, each each supplier represents a category, fruit, veg, seafood, meat. And then we thought, what, what does choice look like? You probably want two or three per category. So we sort of said, okay, two or three, you know, 10 or so categories. Let's let's kind of get it around to 50. True. That, that was kind of version one of the supply um, mix and you always go after the suppliers first because they've got their their own business they're quite happy to sit idly on the network yeah and what's the point of getting a buyer to come if there's no suppliers so yeah so so sort of version one i guess building it you know eight to ten months of of getting okay a platform in which suppliers can do things like create a product upload a photo and and all of that um and then of course on the buy side we really needed them to be able to do things like search category filter um you know do postcode based search obviously because not mm-hmm. every supplier goes yep. everywhere um and all of that actually took quite a while to get and and like i said it didn't even look great <laughs> when That's we launched where everybody it everybody starts i guess yeah <laughs> and then i think if i can talk about a mistake we made is, is having launched probably after eight to 12 months of coding and then launching so coming up to our sort of first i guess 18 months of operating um we were a little too excited probably by the tech mm-hmm. and all the cool features we thought restaurants would want yes uh, whether that's certain kinds of reporting or certain kinds of integrations or things that just yes. excited us as a tech yes, company of course. that we started kind of building the roadmap uh, around what we thought we could do to enhance the life of the restaurant okay which was silly because what we should have been doing <laughs> and what we ultimately focused a lot more doing and, and really really drives us more today is asking the restaurants tell us tell us what you about want about your operating not necessarily what you want yes. because i don't think restaurants are great at Can articulating understand. The, the solution yes. but certainly tell us about your day uh, where do you spend time how are you ordering what where are these errors coming into your procurement sort of yes. um, understand life cycle and, and, and what were the major findings there well once we sort of stopped building what we thought was cool and started listening to <laughs> their daily lives um, the problems were a lot simpler than I think we had sort of 
envisioned. And that, that, that was things like um, errors in ordering because you've made typos on yes. the text that you wrote. Okay. So they were often texting their order, and if you get the SKU code wrong or the quantity wrong or yes. whatever, the supplier is going to deliver it incorrectly. True. Uh, then, even if you get it correct, it is very common for avocado or meat or whatever to just be bad. That's food. Yes. So there was this concept of issue resolution. Mm -hmm. I, as a chef, don't want to call the supplier every day and say, you've delivered bad avocados. Yes. You know, so how do we get a digital tap to resolve yes. system? True. Things like this. Um, things that are late. Where is my delivery? So very, very basic problems. Of course. They're not sitting there thinking, gosh, I, yeah. I, had this, I wish I had this great integration and I reporting know. tool. It's and more just <laughs> things are late. Typos happen. You know, yes. it, it sounds very basic, but as a tech company, you know, I think you're drawn to complexity. Yes. Um, but focusing in on those problems, then actually we, we, we start to build more. And, and, and that is wanted. very interesting because I, rem I know from my own restaurant, the mm. most common problem is they, they bought a box, like three things were missing. And mm. the common answer, oh, I'll bring it tomorrow because yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm coming tomorrow, I'll bring it again. Yeah. All right. And how does that blend into the system? Like, you know, did, yeah. they, did they require like uh, a very good, because what happens is when you go to accountant, they're like, no, no, you need history of everything, but that's yeah. not how restaurants operate. They, they're like, okay, bring it tomorrow and it's fine. Yeah. So did you have to cater for those use cases yes. or were they taken out of the platform and handled manually? So we, once we understood that as the problem, okay, now we've got our thinking hats on. So first thing is we look at the data to understand mm -hmm. well, what are the most common problems. Yes. And then we started separating it out by what is the least touch uh, solution mm -hmm. for most of those problems. So for example, in something like 90% of cases, whatever the problem is, the chef is just happy with a refund. Yes. Um, and, and, and so we started building a very simple touch to resolve mm -hmm. uh, system where if it's bad quality or it's late or it's a substituted item or it's a missed item, as you said, mm -hmm. probably you just want a refund. So you can just select it, take a photo, indicate that what's going wrong and you get a straight refund. Okay. And that actually solves it most of the time. Now in your okay. case, for example, they may want it the next day yep. and then it has to go into a slightly different, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, decisioning. Yes. Um, but we'll push for a refund where we can because it, just so much easier for us so much and easier. for the supplier. And the transaction is done, yeah. uh, completed. So it's, it's actually the 10% the, the that's harder to solve because now it requires, <clears throat> okay, do you want to talk to us, who buy us? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to talk to the supplier? Understand. How urgent is it? Do you really need it the next day or could, yes. you, could you kind of last yes, a bit understand. without that product? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, that, that becomes a, a little bit more, more complicated. And you touched a very interesting point because this is the problem that I have uh, seen businesses try to do or, or the technology businesses when they try to create technology that they think everything needs to be automated and handled by platform. Mm. You, you need the manual like, you know, blend into it when yeah. the, to cater for those 10% of the scenarios. And people don't realize that that works much better than just yeah. building everything inside the platform. Yeah, uh, 100%. And in particular, when you're a marketplace-based business. Exactly. Um, we, we not only have to accept that 10% <laughs> of the time, yeah. it's just going to require some kind of exactly. interaction, yes. but also that we, as a marketplace, are not the best person for the chef to be talking to True. because we don't necessarily know Understand where the, the truck is or what exactly. So it's oftentimes the, the solution is let's connect the two of you. Connect two of you. Um, and then our tech value out there is how do we connect you? Yes. Can you tap and be connected to the supplier? Great. What's a better solution? 
can you tap and be connected to just the right person exactly. within the supplier's network? Well, that's great. So, yes. so then it becomes, let's add role titles for the supplier's side so that when you have a delivery problem, you're not just connected to customer service of the supplier, but their logistics department. Logistics. Yes. So there, there's nuances there, but mm -hmm. oftentimes the marketplace, just, just get the hell out of the way because yeah. you're better off letting, letting the two <laughs> sides talk yeah. to one another. And, and how many revisions did it take to understand that this is the way to do it? Because people think that their MVP should have all these answers, and I don't think that is usually the case. No, so I, I, <laughs> I think, you know, if we take a timeline, so say we've been actually operating for four years, you know, uh, eight to 12 months just to build it. Another, honestly, mm. six to 12 months of building what I would say is cool stuff that no one necessarily <laughs> wanted. Um, and, and so really still evolving to this day, and we're in four years now of, um, of understanding the problem and then iterating the solution. But so the it, MVP was yeah. okay, but really way off, I think, from yeah, where it needed to be. Yeah. yeah. And, and so would you say like, is it typically a three-year period before you get your head around what you actually need to solve and have some uh, solution that you are, you can be proud of rather than saying, yeah, it works, but I need to work on it? Yeah, I, I think I would say in our case two, two years before it really started to connect. Mm -hmm. um, and in our case, that was sort of 2017 coming up to end of 2019. Yes. So... Just as we were connecting, hey, there was this new challenge in yes. early 2020 that everyone knows about called COVID, and, yeah. and that was a whole different thing. So, That's yeah. great. So with that time, I think the cost comes hand in hand and the complexity. So mm. how did you, did you raise at the start of like when you had the idea or what, pen, or what points you started raising and when was the, uh, like you guys had a very good history, so maybe the uh, investors were ready to put their money in early on. Yeah. But what is the typical startup journey that when should they, what do they need to actually raise successfully? Yeah, I, I think um, I can only speak from our experience. Yes. And in particular, it's important to say that we're a marketplace. Yes. And a lot of a marketplace means you're building that highway before you start putting heaps of cars on it, right? And, exactly. and, and that, that just takes time and money. Mm -hmm. So we did raise in the beginning, um, and you are right. We had a little bit, I think, of that menu log sort of aura and the fairy yes. dust. It was this great exit in a mm -hmm. marketplace-based business. So we yes. were fortunate to get Macquarie Bank as a seed investor. Great. Um, and, and they put in $500,000 in basically when we founded it. Yes. We raised a bit along the way, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't really until sort of, as I said, we were connecting towards 2020, end of 2019 that we, yes. we did a bigger raise. And a lot of that was um, keeping our costs low while we built this marketplace mm -hmm. and that chicken and egg of suppliers, buyers, suppliers, buyers, True. until we got that to a point where we could show good numbers yes. to investors. And then we did a, a raise then and then most recently you know, the $10 million round. Yeah. Um, so it took, it took probably three or four little rounds to get there. And yeah. um, one of the other uh, important problem that I see people, one obviously the product to market fit in B2B world because mm. uh, you know, in, in hospitality industry and in marketplace, you hear ideas like every single day, oh, I have this cool idea. Yeah. But how do you assess that idea and say, okay, yes, there is a gap and this is gonna add value. How do you put a use case and a, in a business case around that? Um, that's a really, really good question. And I, I don't think 
the answer that I, I, I'm going to give is, is at all going to be perfect for every scenario. Yes. But certainly some of the things we looked at um, is how consistent is the problem across the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we look at food biases, well, how many places that are a restaurant or a cafe need to order food? And yes. the answer is every single one. Is that, okay, great. And how many of them have really good procurement? So I guess, you know, what, 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 what is the consistency of the problem? And I guess how prevalent is it across yes. the industry? And it turned out that almost no one that we spoke to had really solid good procurement systems. Um, and then I guess how much of a problem is this going to be in the long run? Like we didn't see it getting any better. Yes. And then I think a, a really good point for our case is how much is technology really suitable to solve this problem? True. And one of the things about technology, which Menulog proved, mm-hmm. uh, as does Airbnb and Uber and whatever, is that when you've got a huge fragmentation of a lot of different buyers and a lot of different suppliers, marketplace businesses are really, really good at connecting all of these different fragmented parts. True. It's a great use case for technology and i think there are a lot of problems in hospitality that people think of um but perhaps it's not faced by every single business and perhaps True. tech is a mild helper mm-hmm. but it's not a game changer in that experience Understand. and if you can i don't know get your coffee two minutes earlier because you forward ordered it <laughs> great but you know is every single consumer facing that problem and does that really really help the restaurant yeah. you know it's, it, it depends i guess True. Uh, and that is so true. And and in terms of like one of the other uh, common theme that I see in a lot of startups, because I work as a mentor in Founder Institute and mm. a couple of other organizations, is that people, when they have to raise, they don't have a clear pathway or clear idea what they're going to use money for and how much it's going to cost not to build, but to actually have a business that is making money. Mm. And there are two different things as you you know very well mm. that building something MVP is probably going to cost you 500,000 as you said but mm. to actually get out there go to the restaurant sign mm. them up sign the supplier solve at least the metro level like Sydney metro level is a, is a different beast and there's so many other costs um, like you know involved in that so if you have to just size that, okay, if you are targeting Sydney Metro, a kind of like solution, mm. uh, a scale of solution, and you want to launch, how would you do the budgeting around that? Um, that, that is also a good <laughs> question in the sense of it depends, I think, on what, what your what your MVP really looks like. Yeah, for, for marketplace, for example. Yeah, I think for a marketplace, you've really got to <coughs> think back to what's the minimum required for a customer sure. to hop on. And it doesn't have to be like a Rolls Royce experience, yes. but what, what's it going to take in our case for a chef to hop on, uh, see enough suppliers there that it's at least intriguing, True. add them to the cart and check out and those suppliers will deliver that. That's our promise, I guess. Yes. Now, it doesn't have to be brilliant yes from day one but then i guess costing it is okay well you obviously need to get someone to go and sign up all those suppliers yes i mean obviously you have to build the tech platform yes um and that's fairly easy to cost in terms of it will take x many devs yes. x x amount of time so mm-hmm. that's fairly easy to cost up and then you've got to door knock some of these these yes, restaurants true. so i think you know in, in a in a sydney metro based case you you're sort of looking at the minimum product experience that's going to even get you one order, mm-hmm. uh, which is enough to get feedback and yes. and, and, and go from there. So mm-hmm. it's not not too difficult, I think, to cost up in the early stages. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a sense, 
that's the fun part because you you're on a low cost base yes you're just getting that one order and you feel great yes but then you realize you're at the base of sort of mount everest because <laughs> by the time you actually realize you've got product market fit which can come mm-hmm. hopefully quite quickly the, the the second question uh which is what we're really going through now is how do i scale that, yes. that is a entirely different question definitely um and, and i think much harder to cost up than just getting to that True. one order but, yeah understand yeah. no that makes perfect sense and let's jump a little bit in your tech journey and, mm. and uh, i know you are not the techni- uh, technological founder but mm-hmm. i want and and that's why i'm more interested that what was it like did you have your technical co-founder in the staff on day one or what was yeah. the journey like yeah so um uh, uh, just some context is so there's three co-founders of food by us yes. and um my background is in businesses uh, anything from marketing sales operations you know or basically yes. starting and selling mm-hmm. businesses the other two founders one is very very technical uh loves to code um and I, the third is sort of i guess a hybrid of of, of the two of us yes. um is technical and also enjoys you know the commercial side of things so within the founding team we always had that that technical ability and i i would say it's essential we also had a founding hire uh, who's still with us mm-hmm. um who was is a web developer yes um and i i think it's important for a number of reasons but in particular it allows you to build a solution from the ground up that's going to be flexible over the long term. Yes, you're true. Scalable. I th- yeah, I I think there's a inherent danger in using off the shelf technology to solve a problem where what you're trying to do is for a particular audience in our yes. case restaurants. True. Um with hopefully a solution that not many people have already come up before. Yes. Uh, and so if you're using too much off the shelf stuff and you don't have a technical founder and you don't have the ability i guess to customize around so many of these learnings that i've discussed yes. that are coming at you so quickly True. in the early days i think that you're going to become quite restricted quite quickly yes by what your platform can do and what solutions you can really offer mm-hmm. and whilst that may not feel that bad in the beginning because you've established product market fit and this is a problem and people are using it and they're yes. coming back to use it and your yes. metrics might look okay later when you need to scale you start to break You're quite stuck. quite quickly and certainly what we've seen with competitors is um those who didn't have technology sort of founders at their core and who may have built it more by kind of strapping together different things are now coming up against problems of integration and scale and things Understand. where we can deploy certain solutions very quickly and quickly and in a much more user friendly way yes that they just can't in in their platform um yeah. and and I think that becomes a bit of a problem as you try and scale yeah. and and just coming back to that so technical co-founder is very essential to the business but there are a lot of startups out there that doesn't have that luxury because as you know technical co-founder finding a good yeah. technical co-founder is like you know right now is like a needle in a haystack and yeah. with the with the a skill crunch going on mm. it's even finding a developer is hard yeah. let alone the co-founder yeah so did you ever had to do like where you didn't have the person on day one and you you had to work your way around no we, we didn't have that problem um gary tim and i had yes. worked together in previous businesses Understand. and 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 there was immediate trust 
okay. an immediate acknowledgement of one another's skill sets. True. And that really made, uh, yeah, I, I think easy to found and easy to really delegate who does what. There, yes. There's no way I would touch the code. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and similarly for Tim, you know, t t Tim's not going to build the sales team or the marketing function or anything yeah. like that. And, and that's great. So I think... I can't really comment on that from a yep. personal experience point of view, but um, I have done a few businesses and I think generally picking your founders uh, carefully and within a complementary skill set is absolutely skills. essential. But there's a layer below that that I absolutely feel with Gary and Tim and I think it's so important in, in founding as to your values as well. Because Understood. there's skill set and then there's, there's values Brilliant. as well. And we, we align uh, very differently on skill set, which is great, but very much the same, same on the values. On the values. Absolutely. And that is very essential because mm. when you have too many people, you need to be on the sink what you want to like prioritize versus yeah. like, you know, do in a certain way yeah. uh, and keep those ethics uh, common and which is great. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and that is where when you're deciding on anything from the product roadmap through to whether you raise at what valuation, what is the ultimate goal of the company? Understand. How are we just building this full of hot air? You know, you don't want to have those discussions with your co-founders and they've got very different yeah, values. It of can course. make it quite tough. True. And and how big is the team right now, Food by Us team? Now we are 60. 60, 60. headcount and we're going to grow that substantially and in 2022. And all of that in-house or did you use any blended model? Um, so we have a team of 20 in Manila that is directly employed under a, a fully owned entity. But yes. that wasn't always the case. There mm -hmm. was a period of time where they were outsourced. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately we, we felt we were going to be able to work better together with them and we loved that team and they yes. loved us that we were basically going to start our own entity and that's what we yeah. did. And, um, and yeah. that, that's very interesting because uh, I have, like personally myself, like I have a team in India and mm -hmm. we are looking at a very similar model as well where we have the entity there and we own the staff and it's mm. our staff and mm. it's very important because then you have the whole control and the uh, sync Yes. them uh, but uh, as i mentioned finding the talent is very hard and you mentioned a very good point that you found a good company and then mm. turned them into mm. your own company mm. which, which is great and uh, we were looking at a couple of suppliers who can do that mm. do you have any uh, like tips around like you know how to go about that i think that um when you're selecting a partner to outsource with there are many different models and some of them intentionally keep you far from their team. Yes. So they will, uh, for example, not allow you to deploy your own technology. Like let's just take Slack, for example. They may not let you allow their staff yes, to right. use your company Slack. Um, yes. Okay, they keep that distance. So if you're gonna start there, it's gonna be very hard ultimately to, to yeah. form a proper relationship with the, the outsourced team. Understand. So I guess what I'm saying is in even selecting our outsourced partner in Manila, and this was years ago, they were more of a hybrid model where we could obviously they they employed the staff yes and provided rent and offices and computers and all that but we we were able to deploy even from the early days our technology um emails and and, and slack and and so yes. on and so on that meant they were already getting a sense of what it was to work at food by us yes um by the time we then decided to separate from the outsourced provider yes. um which was all fine and very openly done and, and um, you know, re really just a discussion. But by, by that time, the, the jump for the team there to come to Fubias directly was way less. Yes. So I, I think, yeah, it's, it's about selecting an outsource provider that 
that works with your long-term vision, you, you can't yeah. yes. you can't do it any other way. Yeah. Yes, and and I think uh, the other point that you also mentioned is like you, you eventually had them working for you, not mm. at the starting. And a lot mm. of people like you know they go black and white. They're like I'm either in-house or outsourced. There's no in-between. And, yeah, and that's where the done. control and the scaling becomes harder because you can't fully hire 20 people on day one. Yeah. It's too much commitment yeah. to the business. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and that elasticity of the workforce is very important. So yeah. uh, like in saying that, uh, I guess you, uh, you mentioned that as well, that like finding the right partner, finding consultants or experts mm. is very important as much as having your own technical co-founder and the team in-house yeah. so that you can scale quickly. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, yeah, it is about um, understanding there are many, many different models you know, for outsourcing. Yeah. I mean, even before we worked with this partner, we actually just outsourced directly through places like Upwork and, and whatnot, yes. um, our own remote stuff. But we found that... Uh, at least in Fubayas' case, it was too separate. It was just too disparate yeah. having all of these different individuals. Yes, fragmented. For, yeah, both working for us and uh, notionally as, a, as an offshore team, yeah. but they were all in their own houses and so on. So um, m multiple levels, I, guess, I think, of control and fragmentation all that. And we, in the end, we sort of chose, yeah, that hybrid that I mentioned. Understand. Yeah. And, and so where is Fubayas heading? Where is it now? How prevalent is it? in Australia and where are you heading? Yeah, so right now we've got a team a headcount of 60. We've just raised $10 million. Um, we're in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane and we've got about a thousand restaurants using us and we have 1,600 suppliers on the network but a, right. a core group of what we call preferred suppliers of about 200. Yes. Um, but obviously you know, we, we want the restaurant to be able to use any suppliers and they can yes. add whoever True. they want but we, we work with a closer group. What does it look like from here is really scaling. Okay, so we, we've, I think a thousand restaurants can't be wrong. You know, you've, you've got your product market fit yes, sort of thing. There's something there, great. <laughs> um, and what we really want to do now is, is we've got sort of 90,000 of these independent restaurants in Australia. If you look at any of the delivery networks, you know, menu log, they're in 30,000, 40,000 Uber Eats. Pick one, they're all sort of about that, that range. Yeah. So 1,000 is really not that many <laughs> compared to what it could be in terms of the independent yeah. hospitality yes. scene. So how do we get now to 5,000, 10,000 is, is the challenge for us. Um, and that means I'll take us to scale. It means our sales teams have to scale. Our processes have to scale. You know, um, we can't go door knocking forever. Yes. Um, it's True. a great way to, to get your initial customers. But how do we really go beyond that and build? And that, that's a... A challenge I think of a different kind um, and a lot of it right now is is hiring and, and and so we've got this great raise that we've done but there's a labor it's quite a tight labor market yes, true so a lot of it now is you know recruiting and building that that kind of story that people want to come and join us in our, yes. in our vision yeah yeah no definitely so you, you touch point on a story which is very very important I think people join to you for your story not just mm. for the money mm. and in current market that is so true yeah like uh, at X Enabler, we are growing in blockchain as well, and that's our story that we want to become blockchain powerhouse, mm -hmm. and and that's the story that I have. I'm finding that people want to join us. Mm. So, what is the story you are selling at Food by Us? I think Food by Us is unique because there are a lot of great technology companies out there. Yes. Um, but not all of them intersect with the hospitality industry. There's a couple, but 
what we're building is unique and it's unique within this great, exciting, fun industry that yes. is hospitality and in particular hospitality supply. Yes. And so it's a place where you, you can go and, 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 and meet chefs and meet suppliers and understand how the whole procurement supply chain works in any role that you're at, yes. um, which is so fun and so interesting. So many people identify with, with that and so many people are foodies. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, it's cutting edge technology. I mean, the, the stuff that we're building is, is really, you know, uh, uh, on the brink sort of thing. And um, that's exciting too. True. And, and so we're really pushing innovation in an industry that everyone knows and loves. Yes. Uh, it's a big industry uh, and we're doing it kind of our way. And I, I, think, I think that's a real draw card. And also that we're fully Australian owned and Australian built and bred. And I think True. that some of the staff that we get from the more international tech companies that have an Australian presence. Understood. They come and they comment, wow, like the web developers, they're, they're right over there. I could yes. see this thing getting built. You know, we're not dictated to um, by Silicon Valley or, or another you know, yes. offshore True. powerhouse. And that's, yeah. that's exciting too, I think. Yeah, it um, is. So that you can really see it what come it from mean? the ground up. Yeah. Yes, True. Yeah. Uh, and, and you said scaling up and recruiting. Uh, do you want to put out like what you are looking for, so maybe the viewers can actually uh, come and apply for food buyers? Yeah, th there are so many roles. I, I, I think we're hiring <laughs> for something like fifteen roles at the moment. Um, but obviously, sales staff in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane um, is is key, so that we can grow that footprint. Um, but also operational staff to help. Uh, make the whole business run better and that includes things like working with our suppliers yes. some of these suppliers are huge businesses you know, yes. hundreds of staff True. 40 trucks um really supplying uh, the, the the best restaurants in in the country and so getting to work with them and integrating with them True. is is another exciting role then also web developers both front end and back end um marketing as well so pr pretty much across <laughs> across Everything. the range yeah. Operations. Yeah. yeah 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 understand and and that's great so before we wrap this up, do you wanna do you wanna share some insight that is not out there, or like that you want viewers to know from technology perspective, from business perspective, or like you know from your value perspective that you wanna leave as a ending note? Um, I think we've we've touched on a lot today. Um, I think that something we've worked hard to build at Food by Us through the the founders' values. And then as we've grown the company values is, is our culture. Um, and what we have found, obviously it's been a tough time for hospitality during, during the pandemic. True. Um, we have found that our culture has been unbelievably helpful in how we interact with customers and, and, and in the industry, but also internally um, as to how we interact with one another and how we support one another. Um, and it's always nice when times are good to have a good culture and you, you celebrate the wins and you know we have quarterly social events and yes. external speakers and lots of social causes that we support. True. Yeah, you feel good every day. Yes. But when the pandemic hits or something goes yes. challenging for the business, True. that effect of, wow, I really work somewhere where I like the people and I like what's actually going True. on here is, yeah. is multiplied. Yeah. So that, that I think has been a key learning for us. And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's something we're going to continue kind of really strive hard to build a great, great uh, culture yep. around the team, yeah. Great, and, and that's a great insight. So if I'm to summarize our like 
conversation today, I guess the key lessons is that you're not going to get it right first time. It's mm-hmm. going to take a long time to build it. Mm-hmm. And then once you go out there, you're going to learn a lot of things that you did wasn't necessary. And there were a lot of things that you didn't do that you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So go out there, talk to the customers, find that product market fit before mm-hmm. you start building as early as possible mm-hmm. uh, and keep your patience because as you mentioned three to four years two to four years to mm. get where you are today and to scale up is a long time and mm. people quit too early mm. that is very very important and also the scaling journey that you mentioned is is profound because a lot of people think that they will build and then things will just magically mm. start happening but scaling is actually harder than just you know creating the first version because that's where the patience is required, the persistence is required, and it's it's a much longer journey than actually the first version. So mm. this great, Ben, I'm really looking forward to this, and um, I will probably go and sign up my restaurant now and look Absolutely. for my suppliers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm really looking forward to where this takes us. Uh, thank you. Thank so you good, so much for having me. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for coming in the show. Right. Thank you.